Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters and game masters on this plane of existence. If you'd like to help support the show, please check out my link tree or show notes for affiliate links. Also, if you're a content creator and ready to take the next step in your content creation journey, check out episodify.com. If you're looking for more stuff to listen to after this, I was a guest on the Dungeon Masters block last week where I got to chat with Neil about some fun How Not to DM stories. Some of them you may recognize and others you may not. So go check that out and thanks to Neil for having me on. And now let's introduce this episode's guest. Charles has been churning out funny D&D skits with his friends on the Man Shorts YouTube channel for eight years. Charles and his friends have a ton of fun playing different editions of D&D, from Pokemon to hipster to gangster to billionaire, and just about every other occupation slash situation you can think of in between. Charles also has multiple rap albums with a new one coming out soon and a weekly show of his own where he chats about various Dungeons and Dragons topics. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. My name is Charles Bates. I'm also known as Chaz and online also known as Yazik or the DM from Man Shorts or the Bard. Most of my background when it comes to TTRPGs is in D&D, although I've played other tabletop games that I've enjoyed. I started in 2005, so it was just shortly after I graduated high school. Some friends of mine had played before. It was kind of in my orbit already because I've always been kind of into nerdy stuff. But it was Mm -hmm. a thing I admittedly was kind of trepidatious about doing because I was like, I don't get it. But then when I played, I was like, I don't get it. And so I've played pretty much ever since. And honestly, I have more of a background as a player than a DM, but I've been just playing for a long time since. So I've noticed your uh, DMG that you're holding in some of the shorts looks like a 3.5. Yeah, 3.5 is where I started, and uh, and I still think it's the best. It's my favorite edition. I've got my own gripes about 5e, but I mean, 5e is fine, but it's not 3.5. <laughs> There's also been a few times where you're like, you say reflex save or will save or whatever, and you know, it's kind of like, ah, yes, that's previous to the current edition too. So, But editions uh, do kind of make up a big part of your shtick, which will be fun to talk about in a little bit. So uh, you, you started playing in a, around 2005. Uh, do you remember when you made the transition into trying to run games i know you said most of your experience is as a player but yeah do you remember your first game that you ran kind of how it went and and uh what your experience was like so actually where my first time was dming was doing an epic level one shot we had these characters that we had run out through past level 20 into the mid 20s of levels we were fighting titans and stuff I don't remember if it was three or two Titans, but it was just kind of like a big one-shot arena type deal. And it was pretty easy for me. I enjoyed it because most uh, there, I didn't have to focus too much on like overarching story and plots and railroading. It was about, it was just mechanical. So what are some of the big mistakes you feel like you have made? And what lessons do you feel like you could teach or that people could learn from these mistakes that you've noticed? Early on, a lot of my issues were with railroading. That can be a common mistake, especially for early DMs, because it can be easy to get overly excited about your world and how you want these stories to unfold and where you want the players to go. And 
I think that I might have done that a bit too much early on. And later, as I would do different campaigns, I would discover that it's really just kind of, and this, I guess, kind of segues into what advice I would have, which is like, you have to find the balance in dispensing player agency and creating a challenging environment and enjoyable story. And not necessarily in that order, but I mean, those are kind of the three things. It's like, you want them to feel challenged, you want them to enjoy the story, and then you also want them to feel like they have, you know, at least agency to the extent of the rules of the game. It can be hard to do early on to kind of just take your hands off, but it gets fun, I think, as you get more experience where it's just kind of like, I think that there's more fun in that than anything when it's vague, when it's just like, all right, so like you're in a cave, what's up? And then we just kind of figure it out from there easy trap to get stuck in but the more experience you get the more you can kind of figure out how to let go and give them creative control and try to manage the chaos as it rolls forward right yeah it's it's a real skill no doubt and also just kind of like letting them do a lot of the legwork for you in Mm -hmm. a sense i'm always of the opinion that if you have a good framework for your world as far as like what the rules are and who's in there and what are they doing If you can inform to all of those, then they can kind of do whatever they want, and then there are repercussions and consequences accordingly, based Mm -hmm. on what you've set up in the world. So in theory, you should get to a place as a DM where obviously you have your story and you want to let it unfold, but I think just kind of giving them the reins and seeing where it goes, and then that builds the story and allows for things that you may have never even planned for. Yes, 100%. The magics, the true improv that's happening. Yeah. Opposite of that question, what are some of your favorite moments, you know, really funny things, really good things, really amazing or emotional things that have happened from your games? And what do you feel like kind of led to those things happening? Maybe good decisions you made or experience that you had that kind of allowed for those things. I thought to one example in particular where I mentioned nearby caves as throwaway flavor. And so, of course, they want to go investigate those caves. And so now those caves have to have something in them. It ended up working out well on the fly because the inner a beholder. And I think that because I know beholders, they're one of my favorite monsters. I couldn't write the block out for you from memory, but I know it pretty well. And so that's a great go-to for me in that kind of moment where it's like, oh, we need a monster. And then, oh, well, perfect cave, beholder, easy. So... The mage was petrified pretty instantaneously. And I spoke about that on my podcast as kind of a joke, but I don't know, not really. Depends on how you want to take it as DMs. But like (laughs) the move is you want to turn that spellcaster to stone ASAP. It'd be much easier to manage that party as the beholder once that's done. If you're looking for a really intense fight, that's a good way to do it. (laughs) I like putting the party into scenarios where they have to help each other. That stuff's kind of fun for me because even if it's little things, just giving them the opportunity to kind of have interactions with each other in character so that it kind of builds out for later in the future. And sometimes the most innocuous stuff ends up being some of the coolest stuff. Like in the Airships of Nuada campaign where we ran, I was Mm -hmm. a player, Antor, he was like obsessed with peach turnovers. At the end of the campaign, something happens with those where it's like he's granted like a, a never-ending supply or something. And it's just those little moments, I think, are really cool. Just kind of like the personalized, real character things that happen organically as you play. While you've been running games, can you think of a particular time where a player 
threw a wrench in your best laid plans and you had to think on the fly and adjust accordingly to make, you know, your encounter work or to just totally blow it up and do something completely different. I knew what that one would be immediately upon seeing the question because (laughs) there was a nearby magic cult in the woods. It was really going to be the entire night was going to be them kind of being taken prisoner and being essentially forced to be in the cult. And it might have led to combat, but the plan was not for it to lead to combat because the leader of the cult was a high-level wizard. But for some reason, this high-level wizard also nat-tued a will save from the bard who used charm person. So the bard ipso facto became the cult leader, right? Because the, <laughs> right. the, the bard is, has used charm person on the cult leader. So now there, it's a little bit of, you know, 3PO and Return of the Jedi situation where it's like, you know, now these people think I'm great. I will say that what helped with it is that they only had an hour. And so ultimately they killed everyone, which is kind of expected, <laughs> but yeah. certainly not what I wanted. And so as a result, I kind of had to shift the story elsewhere. It's like, okay, well, I guess we'll go back to the town and then there'll be another thing later next time. But everybody still had fun, I think. And also, that's all to say that once that happened, I think that it could have gone one of two ways there because there's obviously moments where you as the DM flex your power. I certainly could have fudged that role. I certainly could have succeeded that will save and then just followed on through. But Where's the fun in that? You know, it's like, well, you know, I mean, he, he, this is what the dice say. And so let's see what happens with it. So I think it's just a lot about being able to roll with the punches and not being necessarily disheartened if it doesn't go the way that it's supposed to, because it might go a cooler way, a way you've never thought of. <laughs> That's such a weird scene in the movie, too. And now I'm just thinking about Star Wars, right? Uh, anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I love 3PO so much. And it's just so funny because he's so into it. As soon as he realizes what's going on, he's like, oh, well, hey, I'm a god. Like, so <laughs> Tell them if, you, if they don't set us free, you will become angry and use your magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. He's the best. All right. Do you have any homebrew rules or that kind of thing that you like to include in your games that you feel like makes them more interesting or you know engages your players better? One that I will not take credit for as an original idea, this is actually yeah. from the Forever DM Posey I mentioned earlier. He had a thing that I like to extend in my games called the hat. It's pretty simple, but it's essentially just extra XP. Kind of like a little teacher's pet, DM's pet kind of moment at the end of the session for everybody. It really isn't that much i think it's like 100 extra xp but it does make a difference and certainly for the player that gets awarded the hat because it kind of becomes a little bit of a competition among the players not like it's a major focus but it's kind of in the back of everybody's mind that it's like hey if you have a really cool role-playing moment or a really cool combat moment that could get you the hat like even if you're not somebody that's like majorly in combat right like i've gotten the hat many times as a support bard just because it's like you do a thing that the DM really likes and then you get a little extra for it. And then I also note that it's not necessarily a homebrew rule as much as it's just kind of a thing that I like to do and thought that would be good for people to hear if they hadn't done it themselves before is personalizing magic stuff. I mean, personalizing gear in general, but personalizing magic items or weapons 
is so cool beyond just personalized to the character's class or race or alignment, but also to their story. If you can work in a way where it's like, I just think back to there was a a DM or a game rather that we played and the DM was this girl, Irene, this friend of ours. She was really, really good with her descriptions, like one of the best DMs I've ever seen, honestly, when it comes to like just flavor. But that's all to say that we were all like kind of awarded these items. I was a bard in that campaign and I was awarded like this loot of the howler monkey. It had these cool bonuses and it did this stuff. And then it came up later in the campaign again. And also they were all connected, the items to themselves. So it kind of connects the party as... I just think personalization is great because a lot of times people are just kind of looking for those moments, those little heroic moments that don't always mean combat or saying something cool, but could be any number of things based on the character. So there's the classic, like, this is my father's axe or sword, or, you know, this is my mother's whatever. But yeah, you can go even further. Um, You can have like mentors give them things or there's a dozen different ways to do it. Right. But I I do like that a lot. Like you said, the personalization makes it mean more to them and then just kind of adds that layer of immersion and, you know, fantasy, which is cool. That's the whole reason that we're making the players, right? Is because we want their story to be told in the world. And so what better way to do that than with those kind of personalized items or moments or like plot hooks, like. I love side stories. I love doing like stuff with backstory PC stuff that's kind of like separate from what what else is going on. I just think that stuff's the best. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask, is the hat a physical hat that the person gets to wear the next session or is it just like an idea? It might have been for a session or two, but since then it's just been metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not opposed to the idea of it being a physical hat. If you want to do the hat in your sessions, <laughs> use a physical one. That's cool. You could make it like a dunce hat, maybe soften the blow for anybody who didn't get it. <laughs> but of course, the person who gets it is like, I'll rock the dunce cap. I don't care. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good idea. Cool. And now a word from a few of How Not to DM's sponsors. First up, I'm really excited to announce a partnership with the website RPGmatch.com. RPGmatch.com is a site dedicated to helping you get matched up with TTRPG players who play like you do. You can select games you're interested in playing, customize your preferred play style, and find hundreds of folks out there to fill up your tables. RPGmatch.com, don't roll the dice on who you play with. RPGmatch.com is free to use, and you just jump in there. Creating a profile is really easy. It's a few clicks, you fill out a little survey, and then immediately you're given a list of tons of people who want to play the same games as you do and want to play in a similar style. So it's really easy to find folks from all over the globe to fill up those spots on your table, like I said. So check out RPGmatch.com. If you haven't already created a profile, you can go find me on there or find other folks who want to play really niche games that you want to play or, you know, just want to play 5e or whatever it is. Check it out. Also, a quick shout out to Episodify, the people who help me produce this show. If you are looking for someone to help you edit your YouTube content, TikTok content, reels, shorts, podcasts, whatever it might be, Episodify is ready to help you out. They have packages for people who need more or less editing hours during each month. And if you buy more, then you can save more on the editing hours you buy. So if you're a content creator who needs a little extra help or you've started making some money and you're ready to take that editing burden off your lap, then check out Episodify.com. And now let's get back to the show with a little bit of quickfire chaos.
welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos, I'm going to present Charles with some random scenarios I've thought up that I think he probably hasn't done a Man Shorts episode of yet, and he's going to tell me exactly how he would write a script for the show using that idea. Give me your first dice roll, and let's see which one we're going to do first. Five. This is for all of you reality TV fans out there. Uh, what about a Love Island edition or something similar? You know, Bachelor, Bachelorette, that kind of thing. I didn't see oh, any man. of those yet, but what, what do you think you would do? Yeah, yeah. So Love Island, I would love to do. I'm a huge Love Island fan. Um, okay. I love. Kind of, I actually honestly love reality TV because it's kind of like brain candy for me. It's just nice uh-huh. to kind of check out from it and just pay attention to this, whatever the game is. Love Island in particular is one of my favorites. So if we were to do that one, I think that's pretty straightforward with Sarah's character. She's a, she's a bombshell that comes in and just like ruins everything, right? Like she's somebody <laughs> that comes in late and like breaks up maybe like the, the couple that everybody thinks is going to win, which is probably Lance and whoever his partner is, right? Like they're yeah. like the sweetheart couple that everybody thinks is going to go to the end. And then probably with, uh, I think with Waylon's character, he'd probably just be maybe the awkward one. Typically, each season, they've got a, a guy that's kind of like awkward, that's not really hitting it off with anybody. I don't know, you might be able to enter, you might be able to swap out Lance's and Waylon's storylines, but it's usually, I kind of usually start with her, really, with Sarah, just because she's, you know, she's the murder hobo, she's aggressive, she's about winning, so... If I can find her motivation, then the guy's kind of falls into place. I love it. Okay, let's do the next one. Ten. A space race edition, but amongst the elite few who are building rockets. Or alternately, if you if you want to do it like space race of, you know, different countries who are competing against each other to get to Mars or something. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I like the idea of them being billionaires and doing it independently themselves. It also uh-huh. could be funny if maybe one of them was actually trying to work with like the world, like maybe one of them was trying to work with like the UN or like a particular right. country or something. Probably yeah. Waylon actually would would actually want to do like a real, and then I and then Sarah of course would just be, she'd be totally vicious with it and just doesn't care who dies making the stuff and let's get right. it done and I don't care if you haven't slept sleep in the office. And then uh, Lance, I think, might be a little too far on the other side of that. So maybe he's concerned with, like, his carbon footprint and stuff. And it's like, dude, you're building a spaceship. Like, (laughs) (laughs) he's trying to make up a little bit for, like, his behavior in Billionaire Edition or whatever. Like, I think that'd be be kind of a cool one to do. It'd be fun to explore the specifics of them going to space. And might even be fun to put them into space in the episode and have stuff happen in space (laughs) yeah (laughs) like some of the challenges they're gonna face when their rockets are actually in space headed to wherever they're going yeah that'd be funny yeah definitely (laughs) one last one let's see what we got last one we are a three 007 slash espionage spy edition well we did do a spy um but it was it was probably more on the tongue and cheek end and less on the actual espionage end because it was kind of the, the bit kind of fell into Justin coming in as the hitman as agent whatever his number is and just uh. assassinating everybody 
<laughs> but uh, in that one, Waylon was uh, uh, Austin Powers. And looking back, I maybe should have given that to Lance because Lance was actually supposed to be the 007 character and then Sarah was Archer. But if we were to do like more, if, if we were to take it more seriously, I think it'd be kind of cool to maybe have them as spies from different factions. So they kind of have to operate in and around each other with stuff. So that could be kind of cool just in general as a game, as a one shot for any DMs out there, a situation where almost like werewolf, you give somebody maybe one or two players a hidden agenda, just kind of like set them off at the beginning, put them in like a haunted mansion or something, and then just kind of let that unfold, like betrayal on house on haunted hill or whatever, where it's like, all right, one of these people is, is a problem. The mole, right? Or, or yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. That'd be fun. Because you done spy already, let's do one more. That one is a two. Courtroom or Suits edition. Uh, I know Suits has been making a comeback recently. I don't know if you've seen it at all, but I'm sure you've seen something to do with courtrooms. So, I have had an idea in the past that I've not gotten the opportunity to do yet because I don't know how it would go. Maybe we could do it as like a courtroom drama edition or something, but... I like the idea of doing it, presenting it like a Judge Judy situation where it's like people suing each other. Because the one that we did was, you know, Waylon was the defendant and Lance was the was his attorney. And then Sarah was the prosecutor with the state and I was the judge. But I think it'd be way funnier to make like Lance the judge and then Waylon and Sarah are suing each other. I guess suits edition. I guess that that's what it would be like lawsuit edition, essentially. And then, you know, the the lawsuit would be kind of tertiary. It's whatever. You can make it about whatever. But the what would be fun is their interactions, especially with Lance having, you know, wielding the Judge Judy-esque power of just being able to just yell at people (laughs) and stuff. You know how she is. She's hilarious. Oh, man. Reality TV, right? It's just an endless goldmine, really. So we've talked a little bit about it already, but tell us about Man Shorts and, and maybe what the original idea was and then how your content has changed and morphed over time into what it exists as today. I started playing in 2005 and the summer of 2005 was the summer that I met Justin, our director. Huh. And he was always kind of making movies, you know, when we were, we had a band for several years and we've always been kind of a little collection of artists, certainly myself and Justin, he's been, we were just making movies in his backyard all the time, just for fun. As for the band shorts thing, that just kind of happened. Justin wrote the script for hipster edition. It was originally just going to be a standalone sketch. In fact, it's funny because I mentioned that I I have more of a background as a player than as a DM. I actually had reservations about doing it because I was like, I don't have that big of a background in DMing. I mean, like I've done it, but like I'm way more of a player than a DM. And but he was of the opinion that he needed me to do the lines because it was, you know, it was a lot. And we'd been working, you know, I've done acting since I was a kid. So it wasn't that really difficult to do. And then it just became this kind of journey where I think we posted it on Reddit and some people liked it. It picked up a little bit of steam and then then we made more. And the more we made, the more people liked it. And so we just kind of got into a swing of it and realized that they had a lot of legs because you can really kind of skin it with whatever you want. The formula is essentially the same as to a session of D&D. 
but uh. you can lay whatever you want on top of it. And the more relatable it is, then in my experience, the more successful. You know, some of our biggest stuff, Florida is obviously probably our biggest addition, but yes. the militaries did really well. People like those because they can relate to it. We've been doing the trades recently, jobs, careers, like, you know, electricians, and we're going to do plumbing next week. That kind of stuff, I think, really hits people and resonates with them. Customer service is another popular one. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I have a lot of firsthand experience in that. Most of those <laughs> yeah. were straight out of stories I've dealt with myself. But the call center yeah, one never... was a little too real. Like I, I could tell that someone <laughs> oh, the guy had some call center experience. Had <laughs> or whatever his name is when he's like puts his sunglasses on. This crazy guy. But all of that's to say, we never really planned it. It was never a thing where it was like, we're going to have a YouTube channel. It was just like, mm -hmm. Justin was like, here's the sketch. Let's film it. Let's post it. Let's see what people like. And then we just kind of kept doing it. And then eventually we were able to turn a profit in the sense of I was able to quit my full-time job three years into it. That was a grind because that was I was working five days a week and then doing the episodes and... Yeah. While we we've not been weekly since we started, we've certainly been weekly the last couple of years. So we've stayed on top of making it and just kind of kept doing it, I guess. <laughs> Having only done this show for two years, I am incredibly impressed by the longevity and the consistency. So uh, my hat's off to you for sure. And the rest of the crew too. Uh, so you mentioned you've kind of just like thought of things and, and whatever sounds funny, you know, you decide to make a video of it. Is there any kind of formal process on thinking of new additions or do you have like a, you know, a note on your phone or a Google doc or whatever that you just kind of throw stuff up and see what sticks? Sometimes we look to current events, stuff that's going on, like whether mm -hmm. it's popular releases of movies or games, like if, it, you know, if there's a big thing coming out, like. And now that I'm saying that out loud, I probably should have scheduled it so that we could do one piece edition this week because that's coming out on Netflix. <laughs> but that said, like, you know, try to pick up a little bit of that wave from SEO, from stuff people are looking for online that week anyway. But I'd say that stuff like Florida writes itself. A lot of times lately, I'd say I'm trying to think of more like profession stuff just because I feel like not only is it something that's more relatable and can be enjoyed by someone even if they don't really get D&D, &D, but it also is kind of a gift to those types of people that are doing those tough careers. So like, you know, how many electricians out there are working so hard and they don't feel appreciated if, if we can give them like a five minute video that is, you know, almost catered to them, really. It's uh, the jokes are for them. It's stuff that's kind of inside baseball for them. That's really rewarding. When I see stuff that's like, I'm an electrician and this is spot on, like that stuff makes me really happy because it's like, yeah. really, that's what it is, is how do you fit into D&D? &D? And so you could be any number of things. We've done over a hundred of them now, but it's just all about like, Sometimes we theme them around holidays, just in general, like stereotypical ideas and concepts, but it all just comes back to RP and just kind of living in the moment of whatever it is. Kind of along those lines, speaking of, of electrician, Dave, if you're listening, sounds like you need to go check out the electrician version. Uh, my buddy, <laughs> who's also got a show, he will love that. When you are creating a new skit, what's the process like from start to finish? What kind of research goes into it? 
how long does it usually take to write the script and then shoot it and then edit it and, you know, post-production and then to, and to post it, you know, what, what are all the steps and what's all the work that goes into it? It's a little bit all over the place, but we just kind of, we shoot as we go. We, you know, now at this point we used to shoot in batches huh. and there's benefits to that. When I say that, I mean, we used to shoot, you know, three, four episodes at a time. So we would just come in and shoot them all in a block. And usually when we film, you know, because everything is single camera, just one shot on, somebody will just sit down and they'll just do all their lines and then move over to the next person and do all their lines. And so, yeah, back in like season six, we were doing four episodes and the we play. So we'd get to Warren's house at 10 in the morning and shoot until like 10 at night. I mean, we were only doing that once a month, but still, it was a big shoot day. And so now we kind of just do it weekly, and it's gotten kind of formulaic for us just in the processing sense. So usually, Justin and I will just kind of talk at the beginning of the week, like Sunday or Monday, about like, what are we doing? Like, if we don't already have a plan for what the next couple of weeks are, because usually they're kind of planned out, particularly right now with the trades, we kind of know what we're doing for the next several weeks. But we usually just talk like Sunday or Monday, whenever the edition drops, that's when the new process begins because it's like, okay, now what? So next week, so then we figure out when we're going to shoot. I hurriedly write the script the night before the shoot and it's become a very weird, I don't know if it's an obsession or if it's just an unconscious, it's just, it's the only way that it happens. It's the only way it gets done is that it gets finished at 3 a.m. the night before the shoot. That's just how it is. And thankfully, Jay and and Rigsby and Melissa are all really cool and able to adapt and contribute with their own improvisational stuff in the shoot. And usually when they see the script, they're seeing it quite literally for the first time on set. People would probably be like, what are you doing? That's crazy. But it's like, yeah, but that keeps it kind of fun because it keeps it a little role play. So it's that, you know, they, they sit down and it's almost as if you just sat down at the table and you were handed your character sheet. It's like, all right, go with it. As for the post work, honestly, most of the work that we do on the show and on the channel is post. And I'm sure that you know this as somebody who produces content. It's like making the content itself is actually usually pretty easy. (laughs) It's polishing it and fixing it and doing all of the stuff after. So usually Justin, he'll have all the footage and he'll send it to me. We shoot on like a Thursday or a Friday. He'll send me all of the footage that night so that I can go ahead and cut the gag reel or the outtakes. The blooper reel, which is, uh, you know, I've gotten really attached to those. I think they're really fun. I like, I enjoy doing those. But I'll put together the gag reel. In the meantime, he'll do the selects. So he'll go through all the old footage, or rather all the full footage, and get the best takes, and then put them all together, and then send them to me. And then I just kind of do the rest. And usually I'm, I'm editing Saturday night, the night before the episode releases. And then we just, I get it up there and post it and ready to go for 10 a.m. Are you also cutting like the shorts and the reels and the TikTok, like, you know, the, the, those at the same time too? Um, cause it's obviously a different process. Yeah. And it's tough to keep up with. Uh, I do yeah. also our cuts for the Facebook, which is honestly mm-hmm. more of a process than I anticipated from a subtitle standpoint, Ooh. because I do not like giving the keys to Facebook for captions, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> particularly with our stuff. Right. Because like, words that aren't like normal come up a lot in D D, and so that's ripe for it getting it wrong so i like to kind of to put my hands on it directly and do the text and the captions myself that takes a good amount of time and the tiktok stuff i think more just comes naturally that's just kind of mm-hmm. in the moment 
make a thing, post it up, get it out there. It's unfortunate that we don't do more of that, really, because that seems to have been YouTube's obsession this last year or two, is the alg- all the algorithm power has gone into the shorts. So we're just quietly over here making our regular weekly videos. <laughs> yeah, I it's it's hard. It's a lot of work, like you said, the captions yeah. and, and it. Yeah, anyway. All right. So you've created other kinds of content as well. You mentioned a few actual plays that you have done as a group. You know, you've done some parody music videos, taking characters who should not be NPCs and, and <laughs> deciding them, like how, how would they work mechanically? What are the inspirations for, for these kinds of content? Did it come up along the way? Yeah. Tell us about that. Full transparency on that stuff, a lot of it is really just kind of putting our feelers out with other content to see how people react to it. I mean, at the end of the day, speaking for myself, I'm a creator. I like to make stuff. My biggest goal as a creator is to inspire other people to create. Mm-hmm. I kind of grew up in a where my family was very heavy on me going to college. And it was very heavy on, you know, doctor, lawyer, priesthood. Like there, yeah, yeah. so I just, none of those really, it was kind of there, but not really. I never really had like drive or passion for it. And so I just kind of stuck with the artist thing. And I guess for me as an artist, I've always wanted to pay forward the idea of letting people know that it's okay to do it if that's what they want to do. Like letting Mm -hmm. people know that it's okay to pursue their art. And more importantly, on that note, them seeing me doing it and them realizing like, oh, well, if this guy can do it, you know, because that's, I've had that moment myself with other artists where I've seen people and been like, oh, well, I could do this. I think that that moment is critical for art and for artists is to have that moment of spur of like, oh, I could do this. And so, you know, As much of a kind of normal, goofy, weirdo guy that I am, like if people can see that I'm doing a thing, that'll kind of push them to want to do it too. So that's the biggest inspiration for me. And then for Justin, I think that he just, I think it's the same kind of thing. He just likes to, he just likes to tell stories. He's working on a feature right now and he's going to be shooting a film later this year. So he's always doing stuff. At the end of all of it, we just like to make stuff and make people laugh. So, and inspire them. That's all it is for me. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, all right. So you also have your own show called Bard Advice, where you take questions from fans, from listeners, from people around, and you you try to answer their questions about various different topics. So yeah, how did that show start? And what's been kind of your favorite part about that interaction you have directly with people who are, are asking you for uh, your opinion or advice? I like to talk, I guess, is really what it comes down to. And I'd done a podcast called the No Big Banana Podcast for a year or two. And it, the, you know, we definitely had an audience, but it wasn't huge. And I didn't feel like I was contributing as much as maybe I should to the D&D community as someone mm-hmm. who has garnered success within it. You know, and that's not to say that I don't feel like we contribute with our weekly videos because we do, but I just feel like on a personal level. I don't want it to become a thing where it's just like we're a television show and you're the audience because I'm still a person. Since I stream it, I have direct interaction with live chat. And so that's actually probably my favorite element of all of it. You mentioned like having that kind of direct fan interaction and listener interaction because honestly, it makes for much better advice. (laughs) If it was just me, it'd be like, well, it's just my brain. But when I have chat there, I can bounce things off of them. They say things that not only are valuable in their own right, but might spur a thought for me. 
it's almost like a hive mind. Everybody that's there kind of knows what's going on and what we're doing. And so when it comes to people sending in questions and I pose the questions, I've tried to get into the habit of going to chat first before dispensing my own advice for all of those reasons I just mentioned, right? They've got great things to say, and they also might have things to say that will make me remember something or lead me to another point that I want to make. And it's also fun because it's in that way we kind of make the show together. It's not a thing where it's just like, this is my show. You know, this is kind of our show. You guys are here every week. It's it's a lot of the same familiar people. Yeah, it's fun. I like it a lot. I definitely um, could not do a show by myself for a lot of those reasons. It's having at least one person to talk back and forth with makes it that much more interesting in, in the same exact way. Yeah. Uh, all right. I've noticed that you love to write and perform raps about whether it be nerdy topics or other things. Having one SoundCloud uh, rap uh, song up to my name, and if anybody can find it and send it to me, then th- you know I'll give you ten bucks or whatever. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, liking rap myself. Uh, yeah, how'd you get into rap, and uh, what's you know what what do you like most about it as a creative outlet for you? I actually got into rap with the Eminem wave in mm. the early 2000s. So I was 13 when the Marshall Mathers LP came out. It was pretty instrumental for me as a 13-year-old white kid to listen to this angry white guy. It was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and also just the content, the kind of stuff he was saying was so shocking, but not in a way where it felt like disturbing, at least not to me, in a way where it felt empowering was like, whoa, this dude is just saying whatever he wants. And then beyond that, I grew up writing poetry. One of the things that I noticed is that as as I would listen to these raps over and over and over and over, and sometimes I would catch a thing that I never caught before. Mm. And I realized that that happened way more often with rap music. In my opinion, I think it's because if you're a rapper, you're a rapper. That's what you're doing. Obviously, there are people who produce their own beats and stuff. But if you're a rapper, you're a rapper. You're not worried about anything else. If you're producing a song, you're worried about the melody in addition to the lyrics. But if you're a rapper, it's all lyrics. That's all you're talking about. And so for me, I found it a real challenge because it was like, well, wait a minute. I don't have to rely on any other form of talent other than just the words. If I can keep up with it rhythmically and if I can say it, and I've been speaking pretty much constantly since I was born. If I can do that, then it becomes about how do I put a spin on this? Like, how can I make a reference here and then put this punchline over here? So it's just kind of fun in that way. And also just kind of, I'm a writer first. And it's funny because I, that's a line actually in my upcoming album. And one of the songs I say, I am not a rapper. I'm a writer who raps. Rapping is a thing that I do. It's a thing that I love to do, but I'm a writer first. So uh-huh. everything else is just kind of an extension of the writing. You know, the YouTube channel and the raps and the podcast. And it's just kind of an extension of my wanting to tell stories and encourage other people to tell stories. All right. Um, I'd love to, at the end here, hear your kind of parting words of wisdom, advice, encouragement for people out there who are thinking about creating content or, you know, running games or doing anything else, you know, that we've kind of talked about today. What would you tell those folks who are trying or who are thinking about trying? My advice for content would be consistency. I try to tell people and, you know, I certainly try and remind myself as often as possible. And and I do really believe this. The fact that we release a video every Sunday is more important than what the video is on Sunday. 
we do have people that are going to show up and watch whatever we post on Sunday mornings, which is a really nice thing to have. But those people were grown over years of people seeing the stuff and then deciding whether or not they wanted to sign up for all of the stuff. And I would say that, especially too, like with the podcast, my wife said this to me recently, and it really registered with me because something was going on and I was considering moving the podcast. And I don't like doing that. I really hate canceling if I'm able to avoid it. But I was kind of 50-50 and my wife was like, you know, a lot of those people are really looking forward to it. And so I just kind of had this moment of like, oh, like, that's really what it's about, I think, is being that beacon for everyone else. It's more than just about you, at least if you want it to be like successful and meaningful, in my opinion. So consistency. And I think what is good advice for either DMs or content creators is use your power and have fun, not necessarily in that order. (laughs) Nice. Uh, All right. So uh, last but not least, I'd love to know. uh, So you mentioned videos drop Sunday on YouTube. But yeah, um, tell us when they can catch you on Bard Advice, when the YouTube videos drop, and then, you know, links to your socials, to to main short socials, etc. Also, if you've got anything coming up, what kind of content people can look forward to in the next few weeks here? Bard Advice is my weekly D&D slash TTRPG slash life advice podcast that is streamed on the Man Shorts YouTube channel every Friday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern. The audio for the pod is available the following Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern. We're about 36 episodes in. So if you're looking for another D&D podcast, there's enough of that to listen to. You can hop on board. I'm currently in the process of developing my third album, Organized Lightning. My other two albums, Join the Party and Attack of Opportunity, are available everywhere you stream music. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the Man Shorts channel, which has weekly videos on Sundays, as well as the Bar Device on Fridays. And who knows? You know, we're always kind of throwing new things out there and seeing what sticks and I might be doing a Baldur's Gate 3 stream here pretty soon because I've been playing that more, getting more into it and comfortable with it. So I'm always doing something. I've got other projects. I've got two other major projects in the fire that I can't even really talk about because I don't have all the details for. So all of our socials are man shorts. I'm Yazik pretty much everywhere. TikTok. I've got a TikTok too where I just kind of make funny stuff for me. And it's Yazik, Y-A-H-Z-I-C-K, and then Man Shorts, M-A-N-N Shorts, on all the socials. I'll make sure to link those in the episode notes. As always, recently you did a, a duet with, or whatever it's called on whichever platform, with uh, Pete and Baz, which was pretty funny. Uh, those oh, two, yeah. Those two old British guys. Yeah, I love those guys. Those guys are yeah. great, because you know they've just been doing that since the 80s. And now they're just old. So it's like, they just look like this now, but they're still doing what they've always been doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty fun, pretty fun stuff. All right, well, thanks so much for joining me, Charles. It's been a ton of fun to enjoy your content and then also to get to know you and a little bit of what goes into your whole process, whether it be running games or writing your skits and everything in between. Yeah, it's definitely, it's been really fun. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. As a sneak peek, next week's guests are William and Brian of the Dungeon Cast. I was on their show earlier this year talking about pit fiends, so go check that out if you haven't already. And now they're on How Not to DM talking about running games and their cool projects. If you enjoyed the show and want to support me, there are tons of easy ways like tipping me a few dollars on Kofi or PayPal or by buying things for your own games from my affiliate links. 
Again, those are located in my link tree. I've got links for dice, minis, tabletop gaming accessories, published content, and even geeky apparel. Last of all, I'm proud to support Diversity Saves, a tabletop role-playing game charity which donates money to diverse up-and-coming creators working on their very first projects. It's a great cause, and I'm really excited to see what awesome stuff people will create. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos theme is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by my friend Arcane Anthems. And until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.